0: Welcome to WGWG.org. I'm Jeff Powell and Matthew Tessner, the big sports fans in studio with us. And uh, each and every week we sit down for just a few moments to talk about what's hot in sports and to get the big sports fans' reaction on certain things. I think, uh, Matthew, we're going to start off today with a little basketball talk. Yep, we'll talk
1: about NBA Finals, and we've only got so many chances left after two months of playoffs. We get to continue to talk about it, but it's been it's been an unbelievable final series, and um, one of our – Colleagues here in the office and I were just talking about the last times we've seen a Game 7 mm-hmm. in the finals, and it hasn't been that long. It feels like it has. Maybe that's because the playoffs have lasted for two months. Maybe we've forgotten yeah. what we've seen in the yeah. past at this point, mm-hmm. um, but we have got a, a Game 7 on our hands uh, as we as we record. So this has been a, a historic series, uh, and it will be no matter which team wins uh, and the amazing thing will and be and
0: that's in like three days right there's a travel period here. Sunday Sunday night, Sunday night, as, night. as we record
1: okay. uh, will be our game seven right. um, and, and I think you know we can talk a little bit about the history we can also kind of talk a little bit about where, where these teams go from here because we'll see some changes I think from whichever team does not win this game and that that oftentimes is the the key thing about a major playoff game almost in any sport these days in the win now mentality sports world that yeah. we have yeah. and entertainment world that we have but but um, if the Cavaliers are able to win Game 7, they will have come back from being down 3-1. to one. Wow. And no team has ever done that in the NBA Finals. Wow. That will be the first time ever. Uh, and they will have to win a Game 7 on uh, in Oakland on the Warriors' floor. And that will mean that down 3-1, they went to Oakland, and they will have won two games in Oakland. Uh, but th- the interesting thing about this series, and I was just thinking about this morning, the series has been fantastic. We've got a three-three series. We're going to get Game Seven. It's going the distance. We're, you know, it's going to give us everything pretty much that we could want. There have been an outstanding individual. Uh, performances well, in this series. LeBron
0: James seems to have waited till the end here to really turn it on.
1: He has. He's, he scored 41 points in two straight games in the finals, and he's really shown his full array of, of capabilities. I, I like to think of him as as not the best shooter in the world, but I've always thought, and I'm not a big LeBron James fan at all, and I, and I make no bones about that, But I've never thought of him as a great shooter. I've thought of him as kind of the bull in the china shop, the guy who can really just get inside. If he really wants to get to the basket and score, he's going to get to the basket and score. And he really does that against guys who are bigger than him but maybe not stronger than him. And, of course, he does it against smaller guys. Um, You know, it's it's become a a basketball league about shooting in a lot of ways ever since the three-point shot was introduced, I think, in the 80s. It has slowly and then more quickly become a bigger part of the game to where now the three-point shot for some teams, that's what they rely on. And at times, that's the Warriors' offense. So in game six, it was unbelievable to me, even though that is their offense, that they were down 31-9 to in the first quarter, and they were still throwing up three-pointers, trying to get it all back at once. And of course, they hit some of them, and they made runs, and they cut into that deficit, but you know when you try to shoot the 3 and you're not making all of them and the other team is in their offense and they're consistently scoring it's hard to make up that gap yeah. um so so i think it's been good good that lebron has not been one of those players in other words that who who relies on the three pointer and he he has though in this series shot incredibly well i don't know what his percentages are but my memories and recollection of of what he's done I don't remember a whole lot of misses, particularly in their wins, but it has. It's been a it's been a weird series in the fact that it's been a great series. It's three three, but the games have not been competitive. They've not been the most exciting games to watch. A lot of blowouts.
0: It seems like yeah, whichever team is winning that given night, it's by a big margin. It is,
1: and and there has been one game I believe that was not a, a double digit blowout for a, for a significant portion. And that game even was not a down to the wire, last minute shot kind of game. So the series has been exciting, but the swings back and forth have just mm-hmm. been uh, almost schizophrenic in a in a in a just a, a wild way yeah. um, that, that you just don't know what team you're going to see. And I think that's what provides the intrigue for Game Seven. Which team shows up? And, and we can't even rely on, okay, the teams have played well at home because the Cavaliers blasted the Warriors in Game 5 on the Warriors' floor. Uh, the Warriors won a, a game by a significant margin in Cleveland. And so we don't really know what we're going to get until we get to that night. And I think that's that's exciting. And ABC certainly should love it. And the NBA certainly should love it.
0: Now, hasn't there been a little bit of controversy over the series? There has been.
1: Uh, of course, you know, when you get a, a significant lead and you get a team that you think is going to blow out another team, uh, and then slowly the other team starts to creep back in, a lot of time, the conspiracy theorists like to come out. And I'll immediately say, I really don't get on with the conspiracy theories. I, I just don't feel that those are... A good thing to rest on when trying to look at, okay, how did this happen? Uh, I don't necessarily get excited about them historically, whether it be sports or not. But the the theory in this series has been that when Draymond Green committed a foul, was suspended for Game 5. A lot of people, including a uh, former NBA ref who has been very controversial, uh, family members of course of, of Warriors players, fans galore uh, leading the charge, have said that Draymond Green's suspension was to lengthen this series. Take a weapon away from Golden State as they're up 3-1, to one, give the Cavs a better chance to get back in it. And the Cavs have gotten back in it. Uh, the Cavs did play very well against the Warriors in Game 5, but... If you look at it in game six, Draymond Green was back on the floor, and he is he, he's another one of those players that he, he can be all over the court. He's great scoring inside. He's great scoring outside. He's not really a, a single offensive-minded weapon. He can only shoot threes. He can only play in the post. He can really do a little bit of everything. He was back out on the court in game six. Cavaliers still ran the Warriors out of the building, so I don't I don't see a correlation there.
0: Right, right. but you know, a lot of people when uh, when their team is losing, you got to find a reason. You so. look for everything possible that you can find.
1: So I, you know, I understand it. I mean, it, when it, when it's my team, in that moment, yeah. you feel such emotion yeah. that you're you're incredibly upset if your team is not doing what you think they should right. be. Just ask my wife. I, I yelling <laughs> at the TV if it's if it's you know my, my Panthers or or another one of my teams, and I'm watching them particularly in a crucial or a big stakes game, yeah, I'm going to be saying things that – ask me an hour later even when I'm able to cool off, right. I'm probably not going to say that. I'm going to say, you know what, I was just overreacting. Right, I was just right, being right, ridiculous. Right, right, right. I was caught up in the moment. And that's what players do too. But but fans, I think, do that just as much. And it, it, for, for people who are not sports fans at all and don't even understand why sports fans get into their games so much and pull for players and teams, it, it looks a little silly. And I can kind of <laughs> understand that. I mean, it, you really do kind of step outside of it and think, this is just a game, right? Right, right? And it is just a game. Yeah. Uh, but that fandom just really sucks sure. you in at that sure. moment. So that's that's been interesting, but I, I think the the interesting thing to see, of course, is, is who wins this series, but it's also gonna be where do these teams go from here? And that's that's the post playoffs uh, intrigue that we see every year. The NBA draft comes up very quickly after the finals finish, especially now that the finals finish in mid-June if it goes the distance. So, you know, in a couple weeks we'll have, have the draft behind us. So that is kind of the first big step toward next season. The other big step is July 1, which is when free agency typically opens, and that's when players will typically start to decide, do I want to stay with this team? Do I want to sign somewhere else? And and teams are kind of on the, the, the same boat in the other direction. Do I want to re-sign this player? Do we want to go in a different direction? And I think it will be interesting to see what the Warriors and Cavs do uh, in the offseason, I, I feel like the Warriors have had enough success winning the championship last year, winning 73 games, setting a record this year, getting the game seven, the NBA finals, still a success, even if they lose it. I don't expect a lot of changes with them. There may be a couple of guys on the bench or a couple of tweaks that they make um, to, to kind of ancillary players on the roster. The Cavs, on the other hand, even though they pushed it to Game Seven, if they go to the finals two years in a row, I gotta believe you know they didn't even let their coach from last year come back and finish this this full season. They've got a different coach than they had last year. I gotta believe they'll make changes. And and LeBron, I expect him to be in Cleveland. Uh, I, I would be very surprised at this point now that he's already gone somewhere else, won a couple of titles. If he jets Cleveland again. Um, Kyrie Irving, their point guard, I, I fully expect him to stay and, and hang with hang around with LeBron for for as long as he can. I don't know if there's anybody else on that roster who's necessarily safe, particularly if they don't win the title. And even if they do, I could see them making some roster changes. There's been a lot of talk about – in the NBA now, there are big threes. Teams like to put together three big, great players with huge salaries and, and pay them a whole lot of money, and that big three is supposed to be what carries them. And you know, You're supposed to get a great player, and then that player attracts other players, and that's when you put together your big three. And the third player in Cleveland's big three, Kevin Love, who used to be a great player in Minnesota. He was one of the best rebounders in the league. He could shoot three-pointers. He was a good threat. All over the court. There's been a lot of talk about what they want to do with him, and he's been injured in this series uh, and been hobbled, and he's also just not necessarily played well. Uh, and some people have said that's a matchup problem, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with him because yeah. there's been a lot of talk about moving him, and he hasn't panned out quite the way they hoped he would putting him with with LeBron and Kyrie Irving. So I think that'll be the interesting follow-up to this series. Who wins? And then what do the teams do after that? Because we just don't see what we used to see in professional sports. When a team would be successful, even getting to championship games, and they would hang around. You know, those old Celtics teams back Mm in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, you would get the same lineup for a decade. And you could go to a game eight years apart, you know, early in somebody's career and late in somebody's career. And... It'd be the same five guys out on the floor. And there was something for a fan that was nice about that. You know, you knew the lineup. Uh, You knew who was playing whatever position on a given night. You knew everything about those guys. Now things are so transient. I think that makes it difficult for fringe fans. I think it's hard in any sport now because that's kind of what it is. In football, baseball, it doesn't really matter. You see so much player movement, trades, free agent signings. There are so many rules about contracts and things that take you different places. It's hard for the casual fringe fan who's just kind of on the edge – to really sink into it because you don't know who's going to be on the yeah. floor of the field for your team that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting to see this. The summer. guy you
0: rooted against last year is now on your team. Exactly. And you're supposed to be rooting for that guy. Yeah. Exactly. And,
1: and my dad's a good example. He's not the biggest sports fan in the world, but he always liked to talk about how the Atlanta Braves would get rid of someone, say it was a pitcher, and that pitcher would go somewhere else, and then he would come back in to to Atlanta and just blow their doors off with an amazing pitching performance. And so, as a fan, you of course you're looking at that like, why did we get rid of that guy? And you know, and then vice versa. Sometimes it's why did we sign that person? You know, they were they were a, a rival, they were our enemy, and now they're playing in our uniform. It's almost it almost feels like a sacrilegious thing yeah. to, just to some extreme fans. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the offseason and that's that's the fun part for a fan of the offseason is watching that player movement who goes where uh and why
0: i think you wanted to touch on some baseball topics tonight as well
1: yeah yeah we talked about controversy in basketball the interesting thing has been controversy in baseball this week and it comes with a player that baseball fans know everybody else is going to say who the heck is that guy ichiro suzuki Do you know who Ichiro Suzuki is, Jeff? Who the heck is that guy? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Well, he is uh, a Japanese born baseball player who's been in the league for, in, in Major League Baseball for about 15 years. He played, was a very successful player in Japan, and came over, and immediately his game translated well to Major League Baseball. He's all about hitting. He's not about power. He's not about home runs. He's not necessarily about knocking in runs either because he typically has been a leadoff hitter. So his job is to get on base and then other people knock him in to score runs. But he now has um, about 2,000 uh, – he has almost 3,000 hits. Uh, as we recorded. he has 2,979 MLB hits. Why that's significant? Well, he's approaching 3,000 hits. He would be the 30th player to ever – have 3,000 hits in Major League Baseball. But even bigger, and where the controversy comes in, is that he has, if you combine his hits in Major League Baseball and his hits in Japan, it's he's arguably the all-time leading hitter in professional baseball. Now, Pete Rose, controversial figure himself, with, with accusations and, and admission of gambling and, on, on sports and on baseball games and betting, uh, is... Technically, the all-time hits leader in Major League Baseball four thousand two hundred and fifty-six hits. He passed uh, Ty Cobb, I believe was was the the guy he passed. A controversial figure in himself. Maybe in baseball historically, you have to be a controversial guy to be able to hit really well. I don't know, but Ty Cobb was one of the most controversial players of all time. A guy who was well known for his he was running the base paths sticking up his feet with the spikes on the bottom of his shoes and digging them into the to the fielders that he was going at. He was maybe one of the first great trash talkers in baseball. Pete Rose has been a great trash talker in a way, and fans have been at him since he retired because of the controversy. Does he deserve his hits record because of these, these betting scandals that have gone on? He was kind of Barry Bonds before Barry Bonds. He was kind of the controversial guy with sports betting the way we've seen kind of in my lifetime with steroids that has been the asterisk uh, reasoning uh, for for a stat not counting but Pete Rose uh, was was a wonderful hitter but his career has been marred yeah. by all this yeah. controversy yeah, yeah. so the controversy this week is and of course Pete Rose is leading the charge on the uh-huh. negative side those and he's been very those vocal don't count. those yeah. hits in japan do not count you can't count those yeah. and my take is If you want to talk about pro baseball worldwide, if he's got the most hits, Ichiro is the pro baseball worldwide hits leader. He's not the major league baseball hits leader. Yeah, and and I think it's I think you have to look at the fact that it's not just Pete Rose you're talking about. He doesn't. If he's just now becoming the 30th player to 3,000 hits, there are 29 other players who have more major league baseball hits than right, he does. Right. I don't think you can say under any circumstances. And a lot of people have said this week, including uh, Ichiro, now plays for the Marlins in Miami, and his manager was saying. That the baseball level of competition over in Japan is every bit as good as it is here in Major League Baseball. It's still not Major League Baseball. You can say that it's great competition. He can be a pro baseball hits leader for, for you know, global for the sport. Right. But he's not the Major League Baseball hits right. leader because he doesn't have those hits in sure. Major League Baseball. And people like Ty Cobb, I'm sure he, if he could be here today, would say, that's my record. Right. Look. He hit those, he got those baseball hits in Japan talking about Ichiro. Pete Rose bet on baseball. Those are, those are mine. and you would have 28 other guys behind yeah. him saying uh, the same thing. And so it, it's really interesting to think about, but that's been kind of the talk in baseball yeah. this week. And Ichiro's 43 years old. So he came into the league. He was already, I guess, in his late 20s. He'd spent that time playing in Japan. So he's not going to play Major League Baseball long enough to get to forty two fifty six 56 no. uh, to be up there with Pete Rose. Yeah. But if, if he hits 3000, that's a hallmark. He's certainly internationally been one of the best baseball hitters of all time. Uh, but it's just been interesting historically to, to, again, have Pete Rose coming back up into the conversation. Yeah. And I think until, unless somebody ever eclipses him and knocks him off that top spot, or somebody in, in executive management for Major League Baseball makes some kind of edict that that Record does not count. We'll always be talking about Pete Rose. Yeah, and I think that really gets under the skin of some people. Sure,
0: including Pete Rose. <laughs> now you've got a little bit of Garden Web Baseball to bring to our
1: attention. Yeah, kind of a kind of a quick note. Uh, it's, it's wonderful season we've talked about several times for Garden Web Baseball, and that really showed. First off, with players going to summer leagues this year, um, players who will come back to Garden Web and have more baseball, college baseball left in their careers, uh, and they're having some very successful summers so far uh, with a large number of, of college teams, but it, it really shows and pays off in the Major League Baseball draft uh, that happened here in the last week or so. And we had three Gardner Webb baseball pitchers, all of them pitchers, uh, who were selected in the draft. Uh, Jeremy Walker in the fifth round, Brad Hames in the 17th round, and I believe it's Ryan Bolter in the 33rd round. All pitchers, two of them went to the White Sox, one to the Braves with Jeremy Walker. It's the largest Major League Baseball draft class Gardner-Webb has had in one year since 1969. And we had, I believe, it was three guys picked that year as well. So it just really is another testament to to what Rest, Rusty Strap has done in that that program. And it'll be really exciting to see what those guys do in their uh, in their franchise programs. Uh, typically, uh, the way I've seen players who get drafted, unless they are just you know a very top prospect from the first round, they will go into some kind of rookie classification. They'll play in rookie ball. Uh, when it's time, there's really no determinate amount of time. It depends on what a team needs and, and what, a, what a farm system needs, double A, single A, triple A, you know, all the different levels, and what the player's able to do as to when they start to move up. And it's a long road to climb all the way to the majors, and it's tough to stick in the majors. That's the thing that is incredible about baseball. A lot of the other pro sports drafts have pared down the number of draft rounds they have. Uh, They don't have as many players drafted. You know, with baseball, we had one of our guys drafted in the 33rd round. And so the baseball draft is just there's so much talent there and there's so many opportunities, but the competition level is fierce. And uh, that's one of the uh, interesting elements, I think, as a sports fan that we actually see in sports movies that is true you see players get into the minors and it's a long road. It's a struggle sometimes to get to the majors. And uh, that's kind of how some of the some of the Hollywood movies portray it. And, and that's a case where Hollywood is showing you something very true uh, because it is difficult. And so for these guys, they'll have to work incredibly hard if they want to stick in baseball. And it's not an easy career uh, trying to make a career out of minor league baseball. But if you love it, Uh, then you're doing what you love every day. And that's the chance that these guys have. And that's pretty incredible to to go out there, to have the season that they had together here at Gardner-Webb and now get to individually try to take their shots at pro baseball. And that's got to be an unbelievable feeling for them and a dream come true. So we wish the best for them.
0: Yeah, and if you want to know more about Gardner Web Sports, it's gwsports.com, and you can check out uh, more information on the on the baseball draft and lots of other things Gardner Web Sports related. Well, I think that's it for this week. Matthew Tessner, the big sports fan, he joins us each and every week here in the podcast studio to talk sports. And until next time, thanks so much for uh, listening in. If you want to get in touch with Matthew, you got comments or questions, send them to the station. We'll pass them on to Matthew. It's info, I-N-F-O, at wgwg.org.